Welcome to At the Table, Christian Community for the Common Good, a podcast for folks curious about the church's call to be faithful neighbors in the places where they live and worship. I'm your host, Nicholas Tangen. Thanks for being here. Now, pull up a chair and let's talk about what's possible when neighbors come together at the table. One way to capture it is that the purpose of a neighborhood is to welcome the stranger. Yes. And like-mindedness treats the stranger as an other. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to gather like-minded people. I want to gather people who care about something in common and let them see it a hundred different ways. Mm -hmm. And to me, the church is the welcoming of the stranger. Yes. If the Abraham or Muhammad mm-hmm. or Jesus did anything, yep. Yep. they found the stranger attractive. Yep. This podcast, my work, and the work of so many community builders owes a lot to Peter Block, the writer, convener, and pursuer of the common good first episode of At the Table was a conversation with Peter, and I couldn't imagine starting a second season with anybody else. And in 2023, Peter released his book, Activating the Common Good, Reclaiming Control of Our Collective Well-Being, writing that, quote, for the common good to become the dominant narrative for our world, we only have to imagine that we can experience, in our own place, within reach, the capacity to produce our own well-being and give this our fullest attention." End quote. Peter challenges each of us as citizens to choose accountability, to practice relational activism, and to craft a counter-narrative to the business perspective. And he says, the church and religion has a vital role to play in advancing this alternate story in the places where we live and worship. I'm excited to have Peter back on this podcast, and I hope you enjoy our conversation about the call to activate the common good. All right, Peter, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Well, my pleasure. I always love talking to you and find out what you're up to and what we're up to. Amen. Uh, Since we spoke last, you have come out with a a great new book uh, called Activating the Common Good, Reclaiming Control of Our Collective Well-Being. And I'm wondering if you could say a little bit about what inspired you to write this book. We all know what kind of practices bring us together, except we treat them as if they're exceptional. Hmm. And so you take 13 churches in your area and you bring them together once in a while over a two-year period and when you bring them together, you connect them with each other. Mm-hmm. You engage in common good protocols, in collective practices. And they find each other, they learn, they welcome strangers. Everything the church was meant to be occurs when you bring them together monthly, quarterly, whatever. Mm-hmm. Why is that an exception? That's the point of the book. The point of the book is we need to normalize. Yes the ways, the protocols, the practices that create for a communal possibility, a common 
good possibility. The church, most institutions are well organized and have normalized individual development. Yes. We have yeah. chapels, we have prayer, we have things I can kneel on, we get together, we have we study the Bible, we hire pastors to interpret God, yep. explain it yep. to us, we read, but we don't practice what you do on occasion. So I want to normalize that. So activating the common good is not about the common good. We know what it is. Yep. We just don't yep. know how to practice it. Right. And so in right. some ways, activating means we take what we know mm-hmm. and learn how to act on it, activate on it. We take what practices bring us together and we make that norm. Mm-hmm. And that's the point of the book is to say, let's make a distinction between the business narrative, which is how we run most everything, mm-hmm. you know, cost, efficiency, yep. scale, leadership, how many, seats, how many leadership, how, mm-hmm. how many seats were filled last Sunday, <laughs> as if that measure means anything. Yep. And so what we're trying to do together, mm-hmm. you and I and others, is to say, well, why don't we make it regular practice to begin by asking people, why is it important for you to be here? Mm-hmm. What is it that you want out of this moment? And what we're doing is producing agency. Okay, the traditional individual practices uh, produce a kind of uh, compliance, obedience, mm-hmm. surrender, yep. let go. Okay, we know, but in, collectively, it's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a conversation so that's what the book is about, is to make a distinction between common good narrative and business, scale, speed, cost, consistency narrative, mm-hmm. and say, let's do that every time we get together. Yes. Let's do that every time we get together. I love that. And that's, that's that. the whole point of the book. And then mm-hmm. there's certain areas to do that, and one is the church. Yeah. So, what is the... What is the common good? I mean, that's a phrase that uh, that we use a lot. What what does that mean? What does the common good mean? It means each of us cares about certain things, regardless of our points of view. Hmm. So the commons is the climate. Mm-hmm. It is our safety. It is raising a child. It is being healthy. Mm-hmm. It is creating a livelihood. It is caring for the old, the vulnerable, create belonging. Mm -hmm. Nobody argues about whether those matter. But we don't. And so the common good means that everything we do together should serve those five or six things Mm -hmm. that we all agree matter and make a difference. Mm -hmm. And so that's my version of the common good. And I'm saying, well, if we are in a neighborhood, mm-hmm. who's going to argue yeah. against raising a child? Mm-hmm. And so why don't we bring those people together who care about the next generation, those who care about the plants, the climate, the environment, the cleanliness and beauty of a street, those who care about our safety. These are in the hands of citizens to produce. Yes. And the business perspective says you can purchase and outsource every one of these functions. I asked the schools to raise my child. In the afternoons, we used to roam free, and now we're well organized. Yep. All right. I used to, to know that my grandmother and grandfather and friends 
knew what to do with my health. Mm-hmm. And now we've professionalized my health. I have. I need a clinic nearby. Yeah. I yeah. used to borrow sugar from my neighborhood. Now I go to a convenience mm-hmm. store. All of this disconnects us from each other. Mm-hmm. And so, and to me in the church, uh, the, the purpose of the church, the reason we joined, the reason you became a minister, uh, how do we realize that more powerfully? Right. It was meant for us to do this together. Mm-hmm. And so the common good is just those things that we share in common. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's neutral on like-mindedness. I do, I am not really interested in your opinions about what kind of government works best. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in your, I mean, I'm interested socially. Yep. But if you and I argue about the government, argue about the leadership of the mayor, the superintendent, mm-hmm. the corner office, mm-hmm. it's interesting, but it doesn't take us anywhere. Right. And, and if I, my thought is that our future of my children and my wealth and health is dependent on what top management does, mm-hmm. then I will never live out the vision that all of us agree on because every organization, business, justice, church has a vision that's easy to embrace. Yes. And all of us have a hard time living it out. Yeah. So this is about how to act on what we've already agreed on. So activating. Yeah, you're throughout the book. You're you're calling on us to embrace this common good narrative, to reject the business model, um, and I think it, even as I was reading it, I was finding myself, um, you know, feeling the the ch- the challenge of that, or the supposed challenge of of taking on mm-hmm. a new narrative. Um, wh- what do you say to folks who say, you know, that sounds great, but that's that's too tough, too challenging to shift that story? The problem is it's too simple. Yeah. But it's hard mm-hmm. because yeah. I have to imagine that's why I can't do it on my own. Yeah. And I can't wait for my boss or my pastor or the mm-hmm. people in charge. I'm not arguing against the business perspective. Mm-hmm. I just let it stick to business. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and it, it is hard, but what my goal in life is, is to make it stupidly simple. <laughs> For example, next time you have a gathering, could you just stop halfway in it and say, are we getting what we came for? Mm-hmm. And can you do that in a small group so everybody's voice gets heard almost simultaneously? Mm-hmm. And people who like to talk a lot uh, are constrained and people who are silent are encouraged. Mm-hmm. And when you start a meeting, can you start by saying, uh, why was it important for you to be here? All these common good protocols put mm-hmm. our future in the hands of whoever's in the room. Yes. And, and, and talk about possibilities. What's the crossroads you're at at this stage of your life? Mm-hmm. And, and what it does, it accelerates trust. Yes. All yes. of us know that trust is the essence of having a church that works, mm-hmm. of having a neighborhood that works. Yeah. And if people yeah. are isolated, it doesn't work. Yes. And if people are isolated in the church, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so these are just means to move in that direction. And I, and I can't do it on my own. I need you. I need three of us to agree. Let's try it. Yeah. Let's just try one thing, one time in one meeting. Mm-hmm. And right. you'll feel. I was at a conference two weeks ago and 
It was a wonderful people there, 95 amazing people. And they listened. They had panel discussions. They had presentations, all of them brilliant. And everybody's sitting passively watching. And the subject was how to build community. <laughs> it was called Nourishing, Flourishing Neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And so they asked me, would you do something? At, so at 2 o'clock, I said, could you just break into small groups? Mm -hmm. Could you just share with each other how this conference is landing on you mm -hmm. and how it fits the crossroads you're at? And I'll give you 14 minutes. Mm -hmm. And the room comes alive. Yes. You can't hear yourself breathe. Yeah. And when you say, would you come back after 14 minutes? They say, we need more time. Mm -hmm. Yes, you do. <laughs> I need a lifetime. Mm -hmm. and, and so you can insert it as a piece of anywhere. Mm -hmm. And what happens is I learned that there's strangers I can trust yeah. and be vulnerable yeah. with. And if I can be vulnerable with strangers for 14 minutes, mm -hmm. as soon as I come back, I'm easier with the other 85 people in the room. Yes. Because I know they have had the same experience. And you say, what struck you mm -hmm. in the 14 minutes you just said? I said, well, I found I could be vulnerable mm -hmm. and trust people who I never knew before. Yes. What else struck you? I said, I realize I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. And so you can give all the lectures you want on belonging, mm -hmm. all the expertise, you can point to where in my brain isolation resides, mm -hmm. okay? None of which reduces my loneliness, yes. my isolation. Yes. It just makes me smarter about it. And so we're trying to add experience to knowledge, to wisdom, and say, well, let me be with you in a way that I know I'm not alone, and it takes 14 minutes. Yeah. And let that, and the, the, the dream of the book is to make that a regular practice, right. a normal practice. Not to fight, not to argue, not I'm looking for a change in leadership. Yeah. And just can we imagine the pastor, the minister, the mayor, the leader, the neighborhood busybody mm -hmm. convening people instead of servicing people. Yes. And you say, instead of asking you, what, what do you want from me? They, no, it's the wrong aim. Mm -hmm. My neck hurts from looking up. <laughs> My neck hurts from longing for the corner office. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Instead, let me look in your eyes and find what I came for. And, and the book is intended to make that simple, yeah. even yeah. though rare. Yes. And I just want to reduce yeah. rarity. Yes. Anyway, yeah. I, I over-answer every question you oh, ask. Oh, that's great, man. Well, and I think <clears throat> one of the things I have found in um, using using your work and leaning into this common good, uh, these common good protocols, as you call them, um, especially for the pastors and churches that I work with, um, there's something incredibly impactful in uh, giving them some space to set down the 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 pressure of having to be that leader, right? The, yeah. the one that's always looked up to. And I'm, I'm always struck by how meaningful it is to see um, community being built across those kind of false power dynamics that we set up in that business model, right? Where we're always looking to the pastor to have the answers, to be the one to speak on our behalf, and instead inviting 
leaders, pastors, the mayor, whoever that might be, into a conversation as citizen. I think that's that's an incredibly uh, powerful and meaningful thing, not just for the the laity, right, but but for the the pastor, for the leader. Yes, it, yeah. You no longer have to act as if you know. <laughs> exactly. Now, what you do know is useful. Mm-hmm. Scripture, sacred rituals, practices. Yep. I love learning about that, mm-hmm. but I need to do it with you sitting by my side. Yes. Rather than me sitting in a row of pews mm-hmm. waiting for the professional yep. to teach. Yep. Exactly. And, and, and it, it makes God accessible also in your world. Yep. Where, where do I find God? Well, right next door. Yeah. yeah. Each, each other's eyes and the, and the pastor is somebody who can create a context mm-hmm. where that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Yep. And, and uh, luckily the world is crashing down on us. <laughs> it makes me perhaps a little bit more open. Now I can go either way with the crash. Yeah. I can look for stronger leaders, mm-hmm. more certainty. Yeah. Or I can look and say, well, I guess we have the agency. Mm-hmm. My neighbor, my neighborhood, yeah. you know, 5,000 people, 8,000 people. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's find out what people are good at. Mm-hmm. But one of the protocols is to focus on gifts. The business protocol focuses on what's wrong with us. Yes. I, and maybe what God had in mind was, I do not need fixing. Mm-hmm. And so therapy is just a, profess- a paid friend. So why don't we just become friends to each other? Amen. And, and, and the other element of the protocol is, why not get curious about each other mm-hmm. instead, instead of having something in mind for each other? And so the pastor, when somebody says, what should I do? Father, mm-hmm. mother, pastor, learns to say, nothing comes to mind at the moment. <laughs> yeah. But what kind of pastor are you? Good point. Uh-huh. Not, the one, not the one that I was trained to be. Yes. Now, yeah. what choices yeah. do you think you have? Mm-hmm. So it's not softness. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not uh, politeness. It's coming up with ways of being together mm-hmm. that confronts each other with the path, the notion that I have the capacity yes. with help mm-hmm. to create the future yes. that I'm yes. outsourcing. Mm-hmm. Well, and it just, again, I mean, it, it frees, it frees, you know, leaders, pastors, clergy, whoever from that, um, yeah, that burden of having to be the expert, to be the professional. And one of the biggest, you know, problems we have in our church right now is the burnout of pastors, right? Pastors are reaching this point of overcapacity, feeling, you know, burnt out and worn down, having to be all things for all people. And, um, and everyone, to your point, always thinks, well, what we need then is more training, or maybe if we, we teach them some more skills for self-care, or we teach them some, you know, instead of saying, what if we set some of that down and we invited the whole church together into patterns and practices of chosen accountability, uh, where we all take responsibility for the whole. And beautiful. And what we, and we do that on things that we decide are important. Exactly. 
And some people decide that health is important. Some people decide that social justice is important. Some people decide, fine, I don't care. Mm-hmm. What, I'm not trying to convince you about what matters. What I want to do is join with you and bring people together so they can create and act on what matters. Mm-hmm. And then the child gets raised. Mm-hmm. The neighborhood becomes safe. Yes. Eyes yes. on the street are what heals the wounds of safety not more professionals. And it does relieve the office, police officer, the pastor from from living a lie because the promise is that whatever your problem is, I can solve it. Yes. Comma, I am not God. (laughs) And even God is in recovery. God, and and that's what Walter Brueggemann offered me is the notion that God is emerging also. And, and we're partners in this. I, 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 I wrote him a note. There's a biography of his. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, it was wonderful. And I said, well, the fact that I got to know you, Walter, you came to my city and we spent eight or nine years doing stuff together, mm-hmm. to me, proves the existence of God. Mm-hmm. Okay? We would find each, you would find me. Yes. And he writes back, he says, you, you, your expectations of God are way too low. That's not a good point. Well, God, you know, I should make more demands of God. Right. That allow that idea of God to come alive. Mm-hmm. So what, what this promises is another source of aliveness yes. for us. Yes. In our architecture, in our way of being. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we can show up every time and not know what's going to happen, that's aliveness. Yes. And then you can yes. take, take it where you want. Dorothy Day once wrote, quote, What we would like to do is change the world. Make it a little simpler for people to feed, clothe, and shelter themselves as God intended them to do. And to a certain extent, by fighting for better conditions, by crying out unceasingly for the rights of the workers, the poor, of the destitute, the rights of the worthy and the unworthy poor, in other words. We can, to a certain extent, change the world. We can work for the oasis, the little cell of joy and peace in a harried world. We can throw our pebble in the pond and be confident that its ever-widening circle will reach around the world. We repeat, there is nothing that we can do but love. And dear God, please enlarge our hearts to love each other, to love our neighbor, to love our enemy as well as our friend. End quote. This idea that our small, simple actions practiced in community can reverberate out into the world for the sake of the common good is core to Peter's work and invitation. More than anything, I hear Peter asking us to stop waiting around for someone else's transformation, to take up our responsibility and our call to be the neighbor, to be the community member, to work for the oasis and the little cell of joy and peace. I ask Peter to say something about his invitation into relational activism and the radical act of asking our neighbors about their gifts. talk in the book about relational or convening activism as a way towards activating the common good. Can you tell us a little bit about what what does relational activism look like? 
Well, I'm trying to reframe what it means to be an activist. Right now, if you ask people, and I learned this from a nature center, Connie O'Connor invited me in the nature center because they found that people love nature. Mm -hmm. But in terms of bringing their love of nature into their lives in a neighborhood, uh, it wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, and she said, people don't want to be an activist. They don't see them. An activist means you're angry. Mm. It means you're willing to, wanting to protest and you're willing to come together to complain and expect change from people in charge. Right. And if you think of protests and everything, uh, they're great attention getters. Mm -hmm. But I sit Danny next to 500 strangers, mm -hmm. all of who care about the same thing, waiting for the next speaker. And so that to me is traditional activism. Let's find mm -hmm. out who's in charge yep. and get them to change their behavior. Mm -hmm. Where relational activism says, let's have that same energy, but say if 500 of us are protesting something that happened in Cincinnati, mm -hmm. I wanna know what can we 500 do together? Yes. When I go to a conference yes. on pov ending poverty, I have speakers, mm -hmm. research, Here's the problem. But I never really engaged the people who I went there with. Mm -hmm. And so relational says, let's capture the energy yeah. of what we care about yeah. most, of what we most want to see change. But let's act as if you and I mm -hmm. in a place can create the future we want and let the leaders then join us or not, right. follow us or not. Right. Is leadership cannot create transformation. All it can do is stop things. Mm. And the people in charge are, there's not much they can do except manage the news. Yep. And most executives and pastors spend their time, what do I say next? Mm -hmm. It's called managing the news. <laughs> and the gospel mm -hmm. means news. Mm -hmm. So if they're preaching the gospel, they also are managing the news. Mm -hmm. Well, let's let congregation in addition to some of that. And so that's what trying to, trying to love the power of activism, mm -hmm. the agency, but make it relational among citizens with each other in a place. Mm -hmm. And once they start to change one thing together, everything else falls along. Mm -hmm. Once I decided we're going to do something about the safety or cleanliness of my neighborhood, mm -hmm. the children do better. Yes. yes, It's a safer place. I am healthier. If I engage in associational life a hundred times a year, meet with others to make the place better, I live two years longer. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. What? I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and activism at its best, I feel like, embraces that those common good protocols as you name. But I think one of the things I've seen in the last handful of years is the way that like community organizing and activism um, can turn into one more service that folks in power or folks with a particular kind of privilege provide on behalf of um, their neighbors. And yes. it maintains some of that service um, provider and recipient dynamic. And I think one of the things I love about your book is you're calling us back into um, a, a 
a collective imagination, not a um, not providing change for somebody else, but creating change together. Perfect. Mm-hmm. I wrote the book so you could read it. Thank you. <laughs> next time, next podcast, you'll just talk to you. You won't need me, but you're right. It, it is get, getting away from outsourcing what matters most. To me. And it's not complaining about the outsource, it's reclaiming and saying we can create for ourselves what I thought I needed someone else to do. And it, it recasts charity. Yes. That if, as soon as I know what's best for you, loving as I might be, I have, I'm acting as a colonist. Yes. I'm acting as Pharaoh. I'm acting as the autocrat. Mm-hmm. Trust me, I know what's best for you. And uh, that imbalance is destructive of my ability to get what I want. I love to thank you for caring about me. Thank you for feeding me when I'm hungry and clothing me when I'm cold and sheltering me. But it doesn't change my condition. Mm -hmm. So now when we bring people who are suffering together, we ask them, what are you good at? What do you love to do? What can you do together? There's people that sleep in the, in the woods near my house and they live there. So we're organizing them and saying, well, you guys, what matters to you? And they say, well, they say, well, this is my community. I come here during the day in the, in the park, in the woods to be with people I can connect with. Mm-hmm. And we take care of each other. Mm-hmm. And the world wants to give them more charity. Yeah. I'm failing miserably in shifting yeah. that energy field. Yeah. This is my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what to do. I, when people say this is hard, I say, tell me about it. I'm failing myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But, you, you know, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You say, well, what? And that's what's powerful about you. You know, you, you said something to me that was very powerful. You said, well, let's focus on the lay leaders mm-hmm. because they're not as conflicted in the pressures on them between the congregation's desires, mm-hmm. budget desires. And then and sometimes when the pastor then talks about social justice, mm-hmm. they say, I get politicized. Mm-hmm. You said the lay leaders don't live in that turmoil. Mm-hmm. They will find those that want to come together to create solutions for what they most care about together. Exactly. And that's the audience. And the pastors will, like you say, be able to exile, yep. join us, and then use their wisdom mm-hmm. uh, to support us. So we say, here's what we want to do, Nick. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you join us in this conversation mm-hmm. and help us? have access and you have a platform, yep. but stop yep. treating the pul- pulpit as an, as a activator of change. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things I, I have just found so, um, so meaningful for me, all of your work, but, and, and this, this recent one, especially too, is that it reminds me that the church itself, each congregation is its own, its own neighborhood, right? And so the work, the work that you're inviting us into functions at all these different levels. It functions within the pews, the, the folks who are gathered as the church 
and then it functions as the church exits the building and goes out into the neighborhood. It's incredible. Right. Yeah, thank you. And and the, and it it aligns with the reason I went to church, went to temple, yep. went to the mosque is, is to heal. Yes. You know, yes. Islam historically, 20, 30% of all of its produce went to people that most needed it. Mm-hmm. So if we had a business now under that philosophy, 30% of the profits, yeah, 30% yeah. of the surplus, 30% of the crop. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it, this kind of collective being together mm-hmm. has always been there. Yes. And we yes. just, and what you said is great. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's, it's available. Right. And it doesn't right. blame anybody. Mm-hmm. And nobody has to change anything. You're fine. Mm-hmm. And so now when we go into troubled neighborhoods or difficult neighborhoods, we don't label them by their deficiency. Right. There's no such thing as a underserviced neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, or a vulnerable. Or, there's no such thing as a poor person. Mm-hmm. So part of the relational activism is we're only interested in what you're good at. Yep. And I don't care where you're sleeping tonight. Yep. I don't care about your average annual income. Mm-hmm. I don't care how many years of schooling you have. All those questions feed the professionalization of care. Yes. Yeah. And what we're trying to do is, is try to normalize and make care available every time we come together. And I do that simply. What are you good at? And most of us don't know. For real. I, we had um, one of the congregations that I work with mentioned that they were asking some of these asset-based questions as a part of their um, their stewardship appeal. And so they asked, uh, I think it was one of the questions from that I learned from Mike Mather was, what is something you know how to do well enough that you could teach someone else? And the pastor, as I was talking with her, she said that she had a member come up to her near tears saying that no one ever asks us these questions. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever asks us um, what we're good enough at. And she was struggling to come up with an answer. She felt like it, it was almost painful for her to try and, and come up with something. And that was, that was, that was an incredible story. Powerful. That's, that's beautiful story. Yeah. That's that's as powerful as any story in, in any written book. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know, and uh, that's why another reason I need you mm-hmm. is to let me know what my gifts are. Yeah, and there's all kinds of research that supports that people who do good things don't know what they're doing. Yes. So if you find somebody whose child is healthier than the rest of the village, mm-hmm. and ask them what they're doing, and say, I don't know, maybe it's genes. He will always attribute it things we have no control over. Yeah. It turns out that that woman fed children the same nourishing meat that she fed the workers. Mm-hmm. Most of the village kept the meat for the workers because they needed the energy and fed yeah. the children off the top of the stew. Yeah. This woman gave the children meat. She didn't know she was doing it, but when other villagers watched her feed her children, they said, oh my God. Mm-hmm. And so I need you to let me know what I'm good at. I I need you to give me a early eulogy. Mm. I shouldn't have to die yeah. to have spoken around me what my gifts are. Yes. And so that's another 
dimension of relational activism yeah. is to let yeah. people. And every time we're together, the way to close is to say, would you turn to somebody and say, what's the gift that I received from you yeah. today? And then when somebody tells you your gift, you just say thank you. Mm-hmm. You don't tell a story. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, it's not by accident this woman didn't know she was good at. Uh, partly nobody asked her, but partly once I find out, then I say, oh, I'm in, oh my God, now I just I have to do something about it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That reminds me of my, so my, my uh, favorite theologian is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he has this great line in his book, Life Together. He says that the the Christ in my own heart is weaker than the Christ in the heart of my neighbor, which is why I need my neighbor to speak that word of grace to me, because I, I can't hear it in the same way um, that my neighbor can say it to me. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Say that again. I want to hear it again. The Christ in my own heart is weaker than the Christ in the heart of my neighbor. And I need my neighbor to speak that word of grace to me for me to hear it. Beautiful. Yeah. And I, and that's beautiful. And I, I need that now. Mm-hmm. Not when I retire, not when I move away, yep. not at an annual ceremony. Yep. And every time we're together, I need to say, Nick, what, what gift did you receive from me in this podcast? Yeah. So let me ask you, what's the gift you received from me in this moment? Yeah. Yeah. In this moment, I think I would say, I think the reminder that we have what we need. I think I... I can get so stuck on thinking I'm not, I need to learn more. I need more. Let me, you know, get better and better and better. And I, I think the gift I receive from you every time we talk, but especially right now is the reminder that you have what you need. Um, put it to work for the common good. Beautiful. Another way to say that is you are enough. Yes. And if I'm a reminder of that, then mm-hmm. thank you. Yeah. I like hearing that. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Yes. Because I have my own doubts, mm-hmm. my own voice of Christ in my heart needs for you to say that. Yeah. And the gift you are to me in this moment is that. Uh, You give my life meaning. It means that the things I spend my existence writing about, you embody and can see use for me in my life. Yes. And so listening to how you talk, you telling me the story of the woman mm-hmm. who came to the pastor and said, nobody's ever asked me. Mm-hmm. Then I don't feel so crazy. <laughs> most of the time you... You give your life to an effort and you know underneath it all that who knows yeah you know and, and my ability to live out what i speak you know not great yeah you know? and so that affirmation is precious to me yeah. thank you i like hearing that 
In his book, Activating the Common Good, Peter writes, quote, For the common good to become our dominant story, certain fields of interest are critical. They don't get the attention that the environment, social justice, and the economy receive, yet they are fundamental to creating conditions for the common good. These fields are journalism, architecture, religion, and the neighborhood. End quote. For Peter, these four fields are the vehicle that carry the context within which we live our lives. They contain the locations, the stories, the language, and the setting wherein we can choose the common good, where we can offer an alternative to the story of a consumer culture and the isolation of the individual. I think churches have their feet in each of these fields, and I wonder what might be possible if we paid more attention to the kind of community our architecture encourages, the stories that we tell and consume as people of faith, the places where we devote our time and attention and the proclamation we make about God's love and freedom in Jesus. So I asked Peter to say a bit more about these fields of interest and about the possibility that keeps him rooted in his life's work. I'm curious, you talk, uh, you talk in the book about four critical fields of interest uh, for this kind of relational activism. You talk about journalism, architecture, religion, and the neighborhood. And I wonder if you could say a bit about why these four, what is it about these fields of interest that are so important in imagining a different world? Uh, one is they're not going anywhere. Mm. The neighborhood can't leave itself. Churches are everywhere, all right? The built environment's not moving. Mm -hmm. And journalism, now that's one dimension. The other is, that to me, these are the most powerful creators of a culture. Yeah. And the church is the language. You have the language. I need the language, and I don't care. You know, if you want to argue on interfaith things, you know, have a ball. Everybody shows their devotion in different ways. Yeah. And uh, but I feel the church is so present, so local, has the buildings, but mostly has the language. All I need to do is take your narrative mm -hmm. and let that guide me in my longing for connection, forgiveness, for love, hope, charity, compassion. Uh, vulnerability. And so I feel that's what the church does. The architect creates, we, we create buildings and buildings create us. Yes. We don't, I mean, the, the shape and size of a building modernism is what's taken the life out of my experience. Mm -hmm. I walk into a glass and steel building. Mm -hmm. I go into the suburbs and I have to create my own sense of aliveness yeah. where I go into many churches and many libraries and other places like that and those buildings uh, invite me mm -hmm. into aliveness into connection yes there's an architect named ross chapin that who does pocket neighborhoods mm -hmm. and he positions houses so that we can see each other and have our privacy at the same time yep 
And journalism, to me, their whole assignment is narrative. Yep. They have one job to tell the story and to guide my attention. And I don't care whether it's social news, whether it's evening news, paper news, podcasts, most of the power of the journalism is to tell me what's worth looking at. Exactly. And right now our attention is aimed at the corner office, the leaders, and what's wrong with us. Mm-hmm. I can't hardly find a newspaper that the core is, what's wrong with these people? What did they do wrong? And so that, that's why journalism seems so important. A neighborhood means that all that I need, most of it, is within reach. Yeah. It makes place important. And it's an argument against mobility. Yeah. You know, yeah. Fine, you want to move. And they say, well, let's in the neighborhood also has an economy. Mm-hmm. And so if I want livelihood that I have some control over, if I want to raise a child or be safe mm-hmm. or be healthy or have belonging or find racial or economic justice, yeah. the neighborhood is the place the best place for me to find that. Yes. And it doesn't matter on style, introvert, elderly, mm-hmm. gregarious. I don't care who you are. I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. I am as a friend, but in terms of things that sustain my life, yeah. people within reach have the potential to give me everything I've ever needed. Yeah. And that we are enough. And uh, that's the gift we always give each other to say, maybe I'm enough. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a hard one. It's tough. What do I do with that? But I thought I felt of all the verticals of all the disciplines I could focus on. It, 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 at least those four mm-hmm. seem right. to be essential and they need each other. Yes. Now there's people in education, there's lots of other domains. All right people in, in enterprise, people doing all kinds of things, people in music and the arts. But each of those is dependent on those four things mm-hmm. or it can be ennobled by those four dimensions, mm-hmm. by the language of the church. Forget about the religion or the missionary work or, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and by this, what, what, where I get my attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Journalism, I need, we need to create an alternative. And if all these are happening, yep. the church yep. has left its property line. Mm-hmm. Architecture exists that brings us together. and is not a testimony to the architect, but to the inhabitant. Yeah. All right. And there's journalism that's focusing on what's working in the inner city of Detroit, in the inner city of Milwaukee. In Philadelphia, there are alternative journalism, journalism that matters. And, then, and so all these things, and there are neighborhoods where they're active, where local economy, localization, mm-hmm. extreme localism uh, is ascendant. Mm-hmm. And people are taking care of each other yeah. without even doing it for good work. It's just the way we choose to, right. to live. And, uh, and so all these exist. Our job, since we have mouths, <laughs> we like to talk. It's true. <laughs> it's to be their witness 
for the future. We bear witness to the common good. Yes. That's all yes. we have to do is see where it's happening mm-hmm. and treat it as if it matters. Yes. yes. Yeah. You said the last time we spoke that the powerful thing about a neighborhood is that it's it's like a family. You don't get to choose your neighbors. And, uh, and that that was the antidote to like-mindedness. And I feel like more and more, and I, I was just reading one of um, Robert Putnam's newer books and, um, and the, the drive towards communities of like-mindedness feels like um, one of the primary impediments to this, this common good narrative. And that the more we can put ourselves in, in places where we experience community across difference, the more likely we are to encounter something radically different than the, the business perspective. Exactly, beautiful, thank okay. you. It, 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 one way to capture it is that the purpose of a neighborhood is to welcome the stranger. Yes. And like-mindedness treats the stranger as an other. Mm-hmm. And so I don't wanna gather like-minded people. I want to gather people who care about something in common and let them see it a hundred different ways. Mm-hmm. And the welcome to me, the church is the welcoming of the stranger. If, yes. the, if the Abraham or Muhammad mm-hmm. or Jesus did anything, yep. they found the stranger attractive. Yes. And without the stranger, I'll never be surprised. So when we break people into small groups and a congregation or a meeting or a gathering or a strategic planning for the city, we say, find two people that you know the least. And now we have a chance to be surprised. And and we've done that with the most mundane of things, budgeting. The city of Covington, we got 200 people together when it was strategic planning time, Mm -hmm. break with people you know the least and talk about why did you come to this meeting? What is it about this community? When did you first start caring Mm -hmm. about Covington? Yes. And uh, and so that's huge. And that's that's what you have going for you is the welcoming of this. Yeah. And and the welcome not as somebody to fix, Mm -hmm. but as somebody to learn from. Yes. And uh... the um, the grounding text for the current round of churches that I'm working with is uh, from Luke's Gospel. It's the story of the road to Emmaus, and it's two guys walking along the road, having this deep conversation about you know what's happened. Jesus has been killed, and now the rumor is he's alive. And then suddenly the stranger shows up. A stranger shows up and asks you know, ask them what's, what's happening. And, um, they kind of disregard the stranger as they're walking until the, the neighbor starts to kind of open up scripture to them. And then when they finally get around the table, they realize that the whole time they've been walking with Jesus. When Jesus finally breaks bread, they realize, oh my God, this was Jesus the whole time. And then they have to run off and, tell that story. They're just so consumed with the, the text even says, we're not our hearts on fire when he was opening scripture to us and they have to run off and tell the story. And for me, that is the, 
the primary example of, of what it means to encounter the neighbor, the other, in, in this context of, of church, of, um, of the faith community, is a reminder that God is showing up in the face of our neighbor, in the face of the stranger. Beautiful. That's powerful. And that's what will set my heart on fire. No pharmaceutical company has that capacity. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> no leader has that capacity. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's beautiful. That's yeah. what we're yeah. longing for is to set our hearts on fire. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and then everything comes into perspective. That's what you're giving. That's wonderful. I mean, that's thank you for that story. And, yeah. And that yeah. It's a great connection. Story. Yeah. And, and what you're doing as a, as a pastor, priest, is you're inviting the secular world into the experience that mm-hmm. you know about. Mm-hmm. As soon as you tell me that story, mm-hmm. okay, uh, then I can make that an everyday possibility. Yeah. That's the gift. Yeah. And, uh, and so which stories you pick to tell is part of the journalistic dimension, attention. And I need you for that. Yeah. As, you, as soon as you tell me that, on the, uh, that this, this person I thought was a stranger turns out to be Christ, mm-hmm. then I can breathe and I can look around the world that I live in and say, who are the strangers here? Yes. They can set my heart on fire, but the gift of your platform as a minister is to guide my attention, mm-hmm. not to teach me and tell me what to do with where you've aimed me. Yes. Well, Nick, what do I do with that? What does that mean for us? You say, I, God bless you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know when you figure it out. <laughs> I got the same question. Let's uh-huh. talk. <laughs> Well, Peter, maybe one last question for you. Um, what's the what's the possibility that keeps you committed, grounded, invested in this work, in the work that you've devoted your life to? I am the possibility of uh, connection on the possibility of equity, of justice, of peace in all places and, that's, and, uh, and freedom. To me, these are the mechanisms of freedom, not voting. And it's, it's always, for some reason, violence and injustice have always bothered me. I can remember being five years old and seeing my neighbor kid gets spanked mm. and 80 years later i can still feel that moment yeah and so i i am now what form it takes i don't know but the possibility of some kind of peace and connectedness and justice like i don't know how to live without that aspiration yeah. and if you say well why does that matter to me because i it's been hard, but I want to stay with a sense of aliveness. Mm-hmm. I'm not terrified of dying or even of illness. I'm more afraid of losing interest. Mm. 
and I know I'm capable of that. Yeah. There is a side of me that can just fail. Yeah. And I've done it in a thousand small ways. Mm -hmm. I'll be back in a minute. I'm an introvert. I'm an INFJ. I, mm -hmm. I have a thousand nuanced descriptions of my capacity to disappear yeah. and withdraw and run. Mm -hmm. And so what keeps me alive is to, to stay interested. And that, that, so that also there. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, Peter, thank you so much. Thank you for being with us again and, and for continuing mm -hmm. this, continuing this, continuing this work, excuse me. Um, the book is incredible. Um, and it, it really is a gift to um, all of us trying to imagine uh, a world different than yesterday. So thank you. Thanks, Nick. You give it meaning. Peter is a voice for the common good, and his invitation into the protocols of this life together is a powerful bulwark against the stories of division, isolation, and consumption. And his simple methods for gathering people around a shared vision and depth are tools that I hope more and more churches will find ways to engage. Be sure to pick up a copy of Peter's new book, Activating the Common Good, Reclaiming Control of Our Collective Well-Being, and consider reading it with neighbors and church members. I'm grateful to Peter Block for this conversation, and I'm grateful to you for listening. Until next time, peace be with you. Here are some questions for your own table talks. Bring these to your church coffee hour, to the bar, or to your own dinner table. How would you define the common good? What are the qualities that make something a commons? What story does your own church building tell? How does the architecture of your church influence your community and the way you gather? Where and how do you experience the business perspective at work in your own life? What impact would a shift towards a common good narrative have on you and your daily life? And what impact would it have on your church or faith community? I hope these questions spark some good conversations at the tables where you gather. Thanks for listening to At The Table, Christian Community for the Common Good. If you've appreciated this conversation, be sure to subscribe to receive updates on new episodes and share this podcast with friends and colleagues. You can also keep up to date by visiting my website, nicholastangan.com. Thanks for listening and peace be with you.